And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Morning, Joe. Morning, Alex. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Guten Morgen, Seb. I get nothing from you. Anyway, uh, today we've got a special episode. Some might call it lazy. It's a Q&A episode where we answer your questions. A, because we don't like international football that much outside of a tournament. And B, because we haven't got any ideas. So thanks to you for giving us your ideas and for allowing us uh, to essentially do very little preparation work for something which is supposed to be of extremely high quality. Anyway, some of the questions that we discuss in today's uh, podcast. Things about the French League. What about Beneliga? You'll understand what that means soon if you don't already. What team needs just one more step to be the great team? Something about a Manchester United central defensive midfielder. Celestial horses. uh, Overrated players. Aguero and Shearer. There are so many. There are so many things that we discuss. And it was a fun time, wasn't it, Seb? It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. I can hear you anxiously tapping the table after you say that. No, the table, the table, the, t- the table's, uh, it's a little bit unsteady, but it, I wasn't tapping the table. Well, it's not doing it now. Let me try that again. Isn't, isn't that, wasn't it fun, Alex? Yeah, it was great fun. There he goes. Seb, Seb will tell you how much fun it was if you ask him nicely. Hello, Seb. Was it nice? It was fine. It was okay. blood from a stone (laughs) if you like blood and you don't want to draw it from a stone but you want to draw it from a rich artery that's just gushing then you should visit theathletic.com forward slash tifo where you can avail yourselves of so much blood that you wouldn't you'll never have lived longer in your infinite lifespan than when you've when you've had this blood it's the best um of course by blood i mean exceptional sports journalism And uh, by drinking the blood, I mean consuming it uh, through your uh, smartphone app or through the desktop website. And uh, really fantastic stuff. Um, Obviously, don't don't really drink blood. That wouldn't be that would be improper. But uh, in this metaphor that we're in, glug 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 blood. Yeah, that's theathletic.com forward slash tifo. And uh, for now, we will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Seb Stafford-Bloor and Alex Stewart. Question number one, and this is from a person whose name I will not repeat because it's a trick name where they make you say it out loud and then you know, it's a bad name. Why are France producing so many great footballers, but the French League, Liga, is so much weaker? That's a good place to start. Uh, who wants this one, Alex? Yeah, so 
I think in some ways, actually, these two things are kind of related to one another. Um, part of the reason that France has spent such a lot of time and effort on producing young players is that actually uh, many Ligue 1 clubs and definitely lots of uh, Ligue 2 clubs are sustainable only on the basis that they sell players. So there's been a, a proper effort there to, to make that part of the business model. It, it kind of goes back to... The 70s, um, the, the French Football Association established a charter which forced clubs to have fully functioning youth systems. Uh, and then after that, people like Gérard Dullier came along uh, with the Clairefontaine Academy, emphasised technicality as well as physicality, started to produce a, kind of a, a roadmap for, for good young players to come through. I think there's also uh, localized factors, so particularly in Paris, but also in places like Lyon, uh, Marseille, you've got a lot of municipal pitches, you've got a high concentration of population. Um, these kind of cage games can happen, which develop technical skills, and then those players get hoovered up by the, the already very good academies in those respective cities. So I think it's it's partly an emphasis on youth production, but but one of the reasons that the league has remained relatively weak is that apart from PSG, there isn't a huge amount of investment investment in French clubs, and therefore they have to keep selling young players in order to to be financially sustainable. So it's a kind of vicious circle for France, but it's a virtuous circle for football in general. When the, when they play in the cage games. Do they ever climb up to the top and uh, suplex people off, or is there anything? I mean, I know that was that's a cell, isn't it, rather than a cage? Yeah. But is there any kind of are there, are there st metal steel chairs there, or I suspect how, what's that's, the makeup? That's something that scouts really look out for. Yes, is, yeah. is the ability to uh, to shimmy up the side of one and then sort of vault back down and, and injure somebody. Yeah, I, I make skill. that uh, make that little jesty comment only really because we we both know that Seb is an absolutely huge uh, WWE fan. So good luck to Seb. Massive, massive. Uh, okay, is the French league that much worse though, Seb? Don't know that it is anymore. Is it worse? Is a really tricky term because it kind of ignores the fact that actually there is a lot of quality in the French league, but it just happens to be at a different stage of development. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this question is that. It's two halves answer each other in the sense that um, French production lines have always been strong. But if you look at the type of players that they've produced, they've always been desirable. So there's a great emphasis on attacking players. There will always be a market for that kind of player. So, for instance, you don't go in, you don't you don't tend to look for um, stodgy, no nonsense holding midfielders in France, do you? Um, there's a kind of an elegance and a technique and a flair. Why do you look for those? Where do they come from? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Any, anywhere where sort of players are sort of shaven headed and bearded. I right. think I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of still wedded to my old um, prejudices about like what I want from a holding midfielder. I want size and I want, you know, beards and shaven heads. <laughs> no well, by the way, speaking of this, I don't know if either of you saw, but... Um, uh, Football Daily released a sort of little uh, short social clip the other day on Twitter where one of their presenters spoke to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. And, this is uh, a it, terrible clip. Have you seen it? I have. It's, it's the clip where basically at the end, like uh, the, the presenter is, is interested in asking uh, Solskjaer about scouting and about interesting scouting stories. I actually once went to see a player and as he walked out of the dressing room or through the tunnel onto the pitch, he had a Mohican. 
this was yeah. when I was back in back in Norway, and I just said to to my scout that we nah, let's let's go home. Not interested. <laughs> Honest, not truth. for you. That's so that that was a, a very short uh, scouting trip. It feels like that's <laughs> Solskjaer's Alex Ferguson routine occurring again because you yeah. can. In fact, Ferguson used to say things like this. So when he signed Karol Popowski after Euro '96, based on that wonderful goal against Portugal. He wrote in his book, Ooh, I'll have to do something about that hair, which is really a really weird thing to say about a player that you've signed. But it, 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 it also feels like something that in 1996 was probably 10 or 20 years out of date. And this is Solskjaer yeah. kind of, Ooh, what would Ferguson say in this situation? I'd be interested to know as well what brought Solskjaer to watch that particular player because there's a, there's a good chance if it wasn't solely based in data that that player was kind of unfairly privileged in scouting reports because his hair made him stand out mm, and therefore maybe. scouts paid more attention to him. I think it's interesting. Like it's, a t- it's a touchy uh, conversa- a topic of conversation for understandable reasons. I mean, I think there's t- two ways of looking at it. One is that maybe somebody's hairstyle can tell you something about them. If it's a particularly sort of... Um, if it's a kind of a, a, a big hairstyle, i.e. Uh, not big in terms of size, but big in terms of personality, maybe that tells you that that person is, is a confident person, right? You might be able to uh, take that from someone who has a Mohican, maybe they're a confident person. But I think the problem is so much of this, uh, these conversations, or in reality, these verbal digs come from pundits and uh, observers of the game and they are they often refer to black people and uh, it's it's generally speaking it's a slightly different scenario isn't it like i wasn't i didn't really think about this before the last couple of years but my my partner is a, is a teacher and she told me once that years ago when she was quite inexperienced teacher she teaches in london uh to you know a a, a group of kids uh, it's a you know a very big mixed culture lots of people from different backgrounds that uh, she failed to notify the parents until the day before that school photos were going to take place. And she was surprised by the comeback because she hadn't thought about it either. It's just like ignorance, right? But uh, the the mothers of the, the black children, particularly the black girls, were furious with her because it takes a really long time yeah. to uh, to uh, sort the, the hair in the way that they would want to for a, for a photograph, or at least the, the way that those um, mothers are choosing to, or perhaps, you know, more broadly in a way that uh, British society is deems to be socially happy with, do you know what I mean, which is a whole another kettle of fish. But I think this is the problem, like, it's two different sorts of conversations, one which is a fairly innocent and understandable one, which is that somebody's haircut can tell you something about them, right? I don't disagree with that, I think it would be mad to say that it can't. However, uh, the, the the idea that you're able to interpret what that is, is a bit stupid, and also, maybe you're completely off the mark, or maybe it's, you know, the veneer of confidence, when actually it doesn't suggest that, whatever, it's, it's not a good uh, thing to use as a measuring a measuring stick, but also, it's often applied to black players, and I just feel that this, I feel that, that that context is entirely different, and probably misunderstood by some of the people who are talking about it, which is why it feels like such a a, uh, a difficult uh, area and one that is potentially uh, reasonably going to upset people. Do you do you find it quite a strange thing for Solskjaer himself to say? Because yeah. if you think about the players that he played with, I mean, nobody did more stupid things with his hair than David Beckham did. Look at sort yeah. of Cristiano Ronaldo's haircut when he signed for Manchester United as a teenager, Diego Forlan. David Hayes messed about with his hair. He's had it in a Mohican at different points of his career. I think you're right. I think it's playing a role. And I think if we were to apply the same kind of physical-only prejudice to Solskjaer to understand his behaviour, what I would say 
is that he looks like a boy and he's spent his life in a world of like air quotes what he might consider to be men and sometimes maybe he feels that he needs to say things that make him seem more like a man you know it's, of course that's based on absolutely thing, nothing and is not true and is is purposefully uh, humorously conjecture uh, so please don't take me seriously but uh, you 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 take the point yeah no i'm very accepting of the point good good okay well i'm glad we're all agreeing uh, next question is from oh Sven Janssen. Thank you to Sven Janssen for this one. I like this one. Do you think Benelliga, the uh, Belgian and uh, Netherlands uh, uh, combined league, uh, would make the teams in there more likely to catch up to the, the top European leagues? Ha! A question. Uh, thank you, Sven Janssen, for that. Um, Alex, what are your thoughts? I think a lot of it would depend on the broadcasting rights that would be um, achieved by that putative league. Obviously, broadcasting revenue can account for a huge proportion of what a club makes. And currently, the Eredivisie uh, and the Jupiler League are not going to be getting huge amounts of money because they're not necessarily particularly attractive products outside of those home nations. If you bolt them together and you have some of the you know, some genuinely good clubs, but also clubs with with genuine kind of um, heritage in the European game, particularly, obviously, Ajax, PSV, Feyenoord, but also people like Anderlecht. Uh, that does then become a much more attractive proposition for broadcasters, and yeah. that, that amount of money could make a significant difference. You've also got potentially a more competitive league. I mean, the, the second division uh, in... Holland largely, well, I think there's four or five B teams in that league from from teams in the top tier. So the, the, the talent is kind of quite stretched across those leagues, whereas if you condensed the best clubs from one league and the best clubs from the other and put them in the same one, again, it's more competitive, it's more exciting. So yes, I think it would be very positive for them. Would it be more likely to catch up to the European top league I think that's hard because you've still got a, a massive gap to bridge. I would say it's probably Portugal that are the the, the league that are closest to being in the top five leagues uh, mm. currently. Um, but lots yeah, of great would, players out there. Lots of great players. Um, you know, teams that that tend to do well in European competition. Obviously, Porto, particularly this season in the Champions League, but also previously having won it. Um, so I think it would be I think it would be a legitimate challenger to Portugal. I don't see many other leagues stepping up in quite the same way. I mean, Austria's got some good teams and some good players, but but there is quite a, a, a fall off between Europe's top five leagues and the rest. Well, how do they work it out at the second level? Do they the, do the, 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 are the sort of second divisions still one Belgian, one Dutch? I, I assume that that they would be. Uh, like a larger set of of second divisions within those, and then promotion would come from the from winning that national league. But do you always have to make sure that you balance the number of Belgian and and Dutch teams in the top league? How, like that's what confuses me when I think about the mechanics of it. If you had the three bottom place teams in that Benner league or the top league, and they were all Belgian, yeah. for example. I don't know. I mean, there has been conversation around uh, sort of these pan-European things before, like uh, with cup competitions, there was an idea to bring, I think, some of Scandinavian nations and Scotland together and have a have a kind of um, North Sea cup competition. So these things have been discussed before, and I think the mechanics 
would be geared towards providing maximum interest in those two countries. So it will probably be a one in one out from each of those nations to make sure that there is a balance. In which case, theoretically, a team, the lowest placed Dutch team could be 11th, hypothetically, and be relegated. Extremely unlikely, but... It, that that could be the case, yes. I'd watch that though, you know. At least initially, I'd be really Would curious. You though? Like, I, I mean, I'd certainly watch like the first couple of games. Yeah, but you have a curiosity as to what it would look like, and then yeah. do you have a sustained interest? It's kind of why I think it would make no, no difference whatsoever. Because I don't think it. First of all, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it can really happen because I think to make a structural change like this, I think it's either in Belgium or Holland, Netherlands, sorry, where you need to have a very high percentage of clubs in agreement to ratify a change like this. And obviously it would disadvantage a lot of the teams um, lower down the table, threaten them with relegation to a second tier, deny them broadcasting revenue, which at the moment they're dependent upon. So it's very difficult logistically to see it happening. Also, it creates, Alex, Alex is right, it creates new games that people like us might be interested in watching, but people like us aren't what drives broadcasting payment yeah but i reckon um, though let's say for example you're a slightly lapsed and direct fan but now you play ix twice a year you probably you're probably more likely to watch it you you kind of already have this facility don't you because if you're if you're a, a if you're an Andalect fan or if you're a if you're a fan of a club used to winning or finishing very high um upper division you have european football and so yes ix are a massive draw and probably so a final in psv like historically but you're also probably getting fixtures against maybe a Manchester United, maybe an AC Milan. Possibly what about like if you support Circle Bruges? Yeah, but then you're kind of the your your proposition is to become an also ran in a team full of clubs who are financially stronger than you are and have, you know, uh, historically a bigger draw. You're so depressing. You're such but a it's, depressing it's, man. <laughs> there's a very good article about this on the Athletic, so people hold oh. that down because it's a very good. Very okay. good arguments made about why this probably doesn't change anything. Then Might here's another question for you. I want another okay. question. Uh, my question goes like this. How is this any different to a European Super League, just a lot smaller? Um, because you're not creating any fixtures that people really want to see in the mass No, 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 that's, that's not what I mean. I mean, just, just, just <laughs> in spirit. It really is. In <laughs> spirit, is in like... science. Uh, hear, me, hear me out, hear me out. Okay. Uh, th- some of the, like, what I'm saying is, ethically speaking... Uh, we don't. We wouldn't consider this to be a bad, bad thing for them to do, right? No, it kind of makes no, sense. No. Why is therefore European Super League a bad thing to do? It's the same thing. Well, I agree. I, th- I think they're they're both bad things in terms of what they do to the ability of clubs to progress up a pyramid. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm, I, I I I like regional football. I like it to be contained within a country because I think that's where you're a nationalist. No, 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 no. We don't we don't use words like that. I just mean that. I believe in local geography for football clubs. I believe. In fans. I believe in local geography. I believe in fans being able to travel and watch their team. I don't. I don't. I don't want. I don't want Man United against AC Milan happening in a place where Manchester United fans can't travel and go and see it, or vice I, versa. I believe in local geography. Let's end it there. I, I, I take your point, but I we'll just end the podcast. Really that's, that's, that's it. That that's what you think. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Stuff25 asks, Alex and Seb, what were your thoughts on Luxembourg that Joe didn't let you share at the end of Monday's pod? Hey, guess what, Stuff25? F*** you. Uh, Eye on it. Eye on Triff. Which team do you think needs just one more step? Just one more step to be great. Uh, I mean, okay, the tedious initial point is what do you mean by great? Sunderland. No, um, I didn't mean that's what I meant by great. <laughs> I just meant that's the next step it needs to take. Oh, right. What, Sunderland just needs to... What? Needs to find itself a sugar today, you know? Um, it's found itself one. It, it has. It has a very yeah, young yeah, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. and he won a cup within four days of taking over. He got the oh. EF. Kyrell Louis-Dreyfus. Well, yeah. I am out of the loop, aren't Jonathan I? Jonathan Wilson wrote a quick piece on that because he's a, a long-time Sunderland fan um, yeah. who also, I believe, probably advocates localism in I, football. Do you know what? Um, now, Alex, every time, and this is the same for you, but every time I think about Jonathan Wilson, all I think about is those doors not opening. In oh, that, disaster yeah every that, single that time. was one of the single most depressing stories that i've ever heard yeah go back and yeah. listen to if, if i can't really remember the details and i don't want to do it disjustice but we had jonathan no. wilson on the podcast a couple of years ago and he told us this story and it's literally it's all i can think about when i think about jonathan wilson anyway go on go ahead um yes so no i think i think if if you're looking at if you're looking at the premier league say um i think in order to be great what you mean a period of of sustainability and success. So I would say that uh, Manchester City are pretty great already, but but are one really good striker away from that. I think Chelsea, I think their step is actually time also possibly signing a striker. I mean, Timo Werner's miss against uh, North Macedonia yesterday is indicative of a player with just... Zero oh, confidence, and 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 some something needs to happen there. Werner is not a bad player. Um, it may be that he's being used, but I I don't know what it is because this was a guy who was very very good for Leipzig, but he just looks to have completely lost it. Um, I also think Manchester United potentially are a very very good defensive midfielder away from being a genuine challenger again. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's a more complex question than that, isn't it? Because greatness is, I mean, I suppose greatness, we're talking about things like Guardiola's period at Barcelona, that kind of sustained point of of success and building on something. And I just don't know that that's possible in football nowadays. I think there's there's too much flux and it's too easy to buy in talent. And Well, uh, Seb, have you got any ideas on that one? Uh, I don't really care. Like I, like I, 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 I don't. It's, no, I, I What's wrong, that wrong with you? I thought Alex was I, the miserable one. I, what I happened to this any, young fun guy who was always having fun? For and the was, question was, was uh, what, what happened to that guy who enjoyed his life? Remember him? What happened to Germany? You should be really happy. Work schedule. No, that's it, true. Just, is it? Is it because you've moved to Germany? 
No, no, no. It's just like I, I don't something to do with the air the over there in Germany. It's Have the you... fault of the question. Is it because Hassan is miserable about the football results, and that's affected? No, that has not. Um, that that has not spread through the house yet because you know I've, I've had quite an, a good few days of not watching Spurs. <laughs> I'm pretty happy. I'll be honest. Do you think it's terminal? But, whatever's causing this problem? No, I, I just I, I think it was something provoked by the question. Yeah, you know, you just stop asking provoked. questions of me okay. and direct your you know direct your frustration with. I'll ask a question of myself. Yonit Triff. This question's from uh, Dr. Radler. What do horses dream of when they're prancing through the celestial sea? Sexier horses, of course. That's, uh, you know? Uh, Here's a question from... uh, Special lions. (laughs) Gaurav Amatyai. Sorry, I've butchered your name. Uh, why United needs a central defensive midfield? Oh, it's almost as if you planned this, Alex. Uh, United needs a central defensive <laughs> midfielder more than anything this summer. Do one, please, even if it's a separate video. It's not going to be a separate video, you cheeky uh, go rav, cheeky go rav. Uh, it could have been. It's actually not a bad idea for a separate video. I'm pretty sure we've made it about seven times though, so <laughs> I don't think we can do that again. But uh, uh, the question, I mean, says why do they need one? I think that's plain to see. Uh, but you could describe it if you want. But I'm more interested in uh, why you think it should be Eduardo Camavinga. <laughs> uh, well, for that you will you will have to wait for a video. Um, no, we. Uh, I I helped out Carl Anker. Uh, who is one of the Athletics Manchester United um, writers, do a piece on exactly this, um, along with some data stuff provided by Tom Warville and Mark Carey, provide uh, suggestions and data on a number of players that United could use as uh, a defensive midfielder. And we we kind of broke it up into different types. So there's more creative types, more destructive types, uh, and the rationale for those players also addresses why United desperately need one. Uh, so I would direct you to The Athletic oh, for your well. answer to that question. Come on, give us a bit of a tease, a bit more than that. <laughs> um, Just one sentence. It'll help them Because it knits everything else together, doesn't it? Ah. If, if you want to get the ball forwards, particularly to quite a counter... <laughs> If you want to get the ball forward, that's like a great advert for a football team, isn't it? Very specific to like a manager or a director of football. If you're sitting at home and you're thinking, why can't your team get the ball forwards as much as other teams? Well, if you want to do that, you should try subscribing to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO in order to fulfill get your... Get the ball forwards. Get the ball forwards. Right, call us now on 0800 Midfield Gov. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he got involved in the joke, he still sounded sad. I don't know what that is, but... Uh, don't sound sad. That's what that made it moody good. and weird. You sounded sad. <laughs> One of the best uh, YouTube comments uh, I've ever seen was on our podcast the other day, and it just said, two Eeyores and a Tigger. And I thought, you know what? That is, that's actually pretty spot on, isn't it? That's pretty spot on. Anyway, we'll be back after this break. Uh, and it's probably a break in order that you can listen to an advert. So, I hope you enjoy it, or if you don't like adverts, who the fuck does, right? Then you could visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO and enjoy this advert, and you can listen to our podcast on the Athletics app ad-free. Um, so there's, you know, there's your option. Or just, you know, whatever ha- whatever's happening now for you, enjoy. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, uh, we're back. We've got some more questions from listeners. Thanks for sending these in, listeners. Couldn't bear to talk about the international football again. Hey, Flapjack GT has a question. Which players do you knowingly overrate because you saw them once and they were brilliant? I've got an answer to this question. Is uh, it Robbie Brady? It's not Robbie Brady. How dare you? Uh, but it's not strictly an answer to this question because this question says saw them once and I saw them uh, you know, a number of times. But it kind of works because it's Cameron Jerome and uh, every time I watched him in, in a championship game at uh, Carrow Road, I thought, oh, fucking hell, this guy's amazing. This guy's amazing. And then whenever I watched him in a Premier League game at Carrow Road, I thought, oh, right, yeah. I forgot. There's just something about this gap that I mean, my expectation is too great of Cameron Jerome. But uh, yeah, the quality of that guy in the championship, unbelievable. Uh, Seb, what's your answer? Terry Cook. So... Terry Cook was a Manchester United player. He came through the Manchester United youth system. And I didn't even watch him in person. I think I was about seven or eight years old. And I saw about 15 seconds of him on Match of the Day in which he did an outrageous little backhill. And that convinced me for about five years that he was going to be great. That he started to slide down the league to like Burnley and um, pre-wealthy Manchester City uh, didn't seem to dissuade me. But I have now that he's forty-four and retired, I have accepted that Terry Cook probably not going to be a uh, yeah a, an era-defining talent. Sadly, people will probably be now accepting that, or you know, over the last few years, uh, reluctantly so, with Ravel Morrison as well, right? That kind of player. Uh, yeah, but I, I think Ravel Morrison. If you said Ravel Morrison, I think you'd have a point because you couldn't foresee some of the the issues which occurred. But Terry Cook was just. Um, me focusing on one single bit of play that I'd never seen before, <laughs> translating it into this decadent career that was gonna gonna roll out ahead of him. Poor Terry uh, Cook. Good Alex, player. You got one? Not, you know. I have got one, but I can't remember their name. Well, that's it's Chris Marsden, Alex. No, you can't overrate Chris <laughs> Marsden. Chris Marsden was a genius. No, there was um there was a a, a winger at Newcastle. A couple of years back, Rolando Arons. There you go. Oh. I knew it would come to me. Um, and I again, I saw not in person. I saw Arons score a genuinely incredible goal on match of the day after a performance that included trickery and dribbling. I can't remember who it was against, and I just thought he's going to be amazing, really amazing. And Do you think if we were recording this in ten years' vanished. time, you might say Ibrahim Singare? Uh, no, because his numbers have been consistently great at PSV this season. Actually. 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 You, you went all serious there. The joking stopped. That's the measure. That's the measure of uh, that kind of rebuttal, isn't it? When someone pauses and then says, 
actually at the end of their sentence. Yeah. Uh, the humor okay. drained out of his voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, here's a question from Hmm. Hmm. Is Aguero better than Shearer? No. Because of nostalgia. That's how it works. In 20 years' time, might look back and say he was, but you can't. You can't summon the tides of time too soon. You understand what I'm saying? It's not okay. You're not allowed to, you know, bring forth the nostalgia until it is there. We all realise, right, that when we live our lives, we mostly uh, have a rubbish time while it's happening. And then we look back and we go, oh, that was quite fun, wasn't it? Or, oh, that wasn't so bad, even when it was fucking horrible when it was happening. Yeah, it's the same. Looking back at Alan Shearer now and thinking, wow, he was an incredible player. And, uh, you know, of course Aguero's not as good as him. In 20 years' time, we'll look back and we'll think, who knows? They were both fantastic. Everything's fine. I was on drugs, you know? Seb? Uh, well, I was I was going to side with Shearer, and I was going to be a bit more definitive about it. Because oh. maybe a little, bit of, a little bit of Shearer, but also a little bit of nostalgia, sorry. But also yep. because Shearer's goals were generally scored in teams which were much, much worse. Yeah, I, I accept that sort of... Um, for probably two and a half years, that Blackburn side was excellent, but it was still propped up by Jason Wilcox and Stuart Ripley. It still had Tim Sherwood in central midfield. Sutton was a very good foil for Shearer. Shearer scored just in the Premier League in three consecutive years, just in the league, 31 goals, 34, 31. That's amazing yeah. as, a, yeah. as a return. And Sergio Aguero has never broken 30 goals in a Premier League season. No. Which Partly due to he's a bit fragile and he's had injury difficulties and, and that kind of thing. So that's And he's in a team with lots of other players who score goals and they play uh, a different style of football, isn't he? He's not always the focal point, right? Yeah, I, but I, I just think for me, and this is not just me being an old man about it, I think Shearer score goals in, um, in many more different ways. I think also, even today, 20 years later, I think he's still kind of the archetype for the Premier League centre-forward. It's probably why Harry Kane has been so successful. He's the closest thing to Shearer today. Um, and yeah, he was just, uh, he was a menace. He was technically brilliant. Could score goals with his head with both feet. But he was also really physical and nasty to play against. Occasionally loved to elbow centre-half. Could mix yeah. it up a little bit. Like, I just think he's, um, I think he's underrated. Because I I think people look at him, him as belonging to that different age and are a little bit sneery about what he achieved. 260 Premier League goals. Like that's amazing, that's stunning, amazing. And you've modelled your haircut on him ever since. I involuntarily, yes. Like yeah. I, I didn't originally, or just unconsciously. You know. Over time, I've had to accept that. I've had to accept Shira as a bit of a role model. It's been yeah. difficult, but you know. <laughs> Can I say though? Here's a couple of here's a couple of things. One, I believe Aguero would score many goals in a rubbish team. But two, his legacy is an interesting one, isn't it? Because he plays for Man City. And I don't mean this to disappoint or upset Manchester City fans. I'm not trying to be deliberately uh, provocative. But it does have an impact on the way that people will view him retrospectively. Because he's undoubtedly an incredible player. He's one of the best that the Premier League has ever seen. He had his special moment, which will, of course, go down in in history. um, His Aguero moment. and uh, But beyond that... I mean, that's the one, isn't it? That's the one that people are going to remember him for. It's, it's a weird thing for strikers, isn't it? Because I think, I think if you're if you you wouldn't say the same thing about Kevin De Bruyne, for example. You know, in in ten twenty years time or whatever, you look back and Kevin De Bruyne is one of the great attacking midfielders, creative midfielders that's played in English football. 
But because Aguero's a striker and is at the end of all of that stuff, there's almost an assumption that because you've got so much creativity behind, then it's easier. And I and I think that's I think that is quite unfair on strikers. I, I would also argue that that it, it cuts both ways because yes, Shearer played in a functional Blackburn team, but it was a functional Blackburn team that was geared towards providing him with scoring opportunities. I was going to say, how many chances way, per so. game do you think he was getting when he scored those thirty-plus goal league seasons? I mean, I, I think, I think the answer is that Shearer is better. I, that that is my opinion as sure. well. Um, but but I also think that effectively these sorts of arguments are pointless. Because, yeah, we're going to the, have it anyway. Well, no, no, <laughs> yeah, but, but because, because you know, styles are different, physical attributes are different, teams play differently. It, like you just comparing like for like, unless you're basically looking at the same position in the same sort of team over the same sort of season, it just just doesn't really mean very much. With Shearer, though, do you not feel like that Blackburn side was a 4-4-2 and its asset was the two wingers, Ripley and Wilcox. But Shearer didn't just score 30 headers a season or or 30 um, you know, cutback crosses from inside the six-yard box. Like The range of his influence was amazing. And actually, it broadened out when he was at Newcastle. And if you think about what he lacked, so there was no kind of scheming, playmaking number 10 in that side. There was no... Um, there's nobody who could... Um, play the kind of creative balls that you associate with, for instance, like a Kevin De Bruyne. Like, in many ways, Shearer was his own forward department. Whereas, I think Sergio Aguero is brilliant. I mean, he's one of the few players that you, every time he gets the ball, when he's playing against your team, you're afraid. And that's, you know, there is no greater respect than that. But at the same time, I still see him as a little bit of an extension of, of, of his side, um, as a as a kind of final piece in the Manchester City jigsaw it's it's interesting I, I, I think Alex is right in the sense that it's completely it's a redundant argument because football has changed so much but it's it's very difficult to it's very difficult at least to elevate anybody above Shearer I'll, I'll put it that way because of what he achieved and what he achieved um, with what he had around him I think that's that's kind of overlooked a little bit I think being the final piece in a jigsaw is a skill in itself though which is probably an underrated skill no, 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 because no. it's you're 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 placed into the jigsaw, like you're purchased for having a specific. I, I don't set think of you attributes. are placed in the jigsaw, though. I th- I think but there's that a is degree literally what City which... did with Aguero. He is he is that player playing that role. He is the predator in that side. Whereas, but I don't you still know, need there to isn't... develop understanding. You still need to get used. I mean, I like I take your point, and I think we we are both agreeing on on most of this. I just think that perhaps it's unfair to Aguero generally just to reduce it to that I don't think we're reducing him because I still think we're acknowledging that he is a wonderfully eclectic goal scorer like one of the best natural finishers I've seen in the league definitely 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 the difference for me is that there is no Blackburn without Alan Shearer there is no Newcastle you know I mean however you rate their quote-unquote achievements during that period when he returned back to, to, to the North East. If Northeast. you put quote-unquote around them, you obviously don't rate them Yeah, I, I know, it's just a kind of like, you, you get the kind of sneer, well, what did you win at Newcastle, like, thing. But yeah. that's just, that's kind of beside the point. Whereas I always felt with Aguero, and this is probably um, a result of City's resources, and yeah, probably quite right, it's probably not something to hold against him, but if they don't get Aguero, 
their future is their, 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 their history is a little bit different but at the same time they spend a huge amount of money on somebody else who is excellent in a different way perhaps whereas with Shira I never had the same vibe it was a it was a slightly different dynamic within it of a career if that makes sense so it's it's kind of apples and oranges so it's, it's a really hard one but I I don't think we're reducing Sergio Aguero I just think it's a I don't know I, I, I've never doesn't provoke the same thing for me Oh, the good old days, eh? Back in the days. There's Back a the guy day. I see wandering around Winchester, where I now live, who's wearing a, a Euro 96 grey England shirt. Oh, he's getting and into the vibe. Every he's getting time excited. I see him, I get, I get that kind of like, oh, it's it's going to happen that, soon. It's it's do you reckon that's one he's home. bought recently or one he's had since Euro 96? Does it fit him well, Alex? He's, grown he's absolutely not old enough to have bought it to wear ah, a Euro 96. Okay. Oh, right. I was imagining an old man. No. No. No, this, this, this is a is young you? buck. Is that who you're no, talking about? You're the young buck exactly. wandering around Winchester. <laughs> I've got a friend who's doing this. and Cocking uh, your yeah, leg. Yeah. Uh, Pissing against I, the lampposts. Letting everyone know. England shirts, actually. Do you know what I was what I was thinking of? For me, I always think of the Wigan Arsenal game on Sunday, the eighteenth of April, twenty ten, when Wigan won three two. Who remembers that game? I do. That was the that was a goal when uh, Charles and Zogby scored. Charles and Zogby scored. Good player, Charles. And Zogby. Also, Bramble. What's his name? Titus Bramble Titus scored Bramble. in the 89th minute, and uh, Watson. Apparently, I can't remember who Watson was. Uh, he scored in the 80th minute. <laughs> did 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 Connor Salmon score in that game? No, there was a terrible goalkeeping error from. <clears throat> it was either Fabianski or Chesney. I, I forget who was keeping goal, but was it was Fabianski. I think that was Fabianski. the Bramble goal. It kind of goes under him, right? I think so. Yeah. But the Inzogbia goal is stunning. Really nice, really nice goal. I was yeah. watching that in a pub I worked in 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 Islington. And so there were loads of Arsenal fans in, right? And it just gave me so much joy. <laughs> not because I dislike Arsenal, but you understand, if you're not an Arsenal fan and you work in an Arsenal pub, you can be kind of grating at times. In Islington. In yeah, Islington, sure. like, like right, you know, not far from the stadium. And my friend Dean, my colleague and friend Dean at the time, who was a massive Arsenal fan, he wasn't working, but he'd come in to watch the game and he was sat at the end of the bar. And uh, I just found it so funny. <laughs> I had to really control myself not to upset some people or get myself in trouble. But uh, one of the great, one of the great comebacks of all time. Fucking love that game. Ugh. Anyway, uh, a couple more questions before we finish. Uh, this one is from Pramode Nupane. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably butchering everyone's names today. Apologies for that. Why are English teams of lower stature so afraid to give chances to young progressive managers despite their success throughout Europe? Because it's not how we do it here. Yeah, because you can keep your clever ideas elsewhere. What I want is a football man in a football tracksuit. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but I want him to do the thing on the pitch with the thing. And I want to say, get in the football tracksuit. You get in the the football tracksuit. That's what I want to say. Get in that football tracksuit. There was a tweet yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm not going to name the ex-professional footballer who tweeted it, but... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Essentially, what it was saying was terms like double pivot, expected goals, low block, transition, beat the press, etc. should get in the bin. Get in the bin. Um, <laughs> and, and then the responses to this included various 
other terms um, that yeah. uh, do crop up in TIFO videos. And while it's very easy to poke fun at somebody who's also doing stuff for engagement and and kind of acting a bit curmudgeonly, I do I do think that there probably is still this tendency that the terminology, which is a probably the easiest way of expressing a lot of those concepts and b also has a lineage in other sports you know so some of these terms come from turnover comes from rugby but also basketball mm. um, pressing blocks that kind of stuff you know the, these these terms aren't necessarily just being created out of nothing but there is within the english game i feel like a a real reticence to embrace can i tell you why thinking... go on please it's because of some of the people who say them that's why it's because it's very easy You're to sound extremely <laughs> patronizing. Not Alex, not Alex, but like it's very easy to sound extremely patronizing. It, this is a political thing. This happens in politics too, right? Where you someone comes up with a term which has a, has a reasonable etymology and isn't 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 an unreasonable thing to call this thing, but then they tell people about it. People who already understand essentially the thing, but they understand it in a slightly different way. Or, or, or being, you know, called something else. And the way in which those things are, uh, you know, assumed to be rather smugly, quite so definitive, uh, it can be really patronising. And part of me thinks, eh, go fuck yourself. No, that, that's is, kind of a problem with totally the people. The, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, and it's it a problem like with it's, analytics as well. Yeah, it's a massive problem with analytics, for sure. This, this is yeah. why expected goals partly is an issue. It, it's been communicated quite badly in some instances what expected goals actually is and also more importantly what it's useful for yeah but also if you goal if you if you (laughs) if you spend a lot of time on on quote unquote football twitter which is in itself an abhorrent concept and phrase um then you see certain people being quite smug about this stuff or this is less the case now because I think people are, are more aware of how they present. Um, but if you have a certain type of person, quite a kind of nerdy, introspective, worked really, really hard on something and thinks he's it's talking important. talking about himself, Alan. I'm Seb, not. Seb, he's talking about himself. <laughs> Let it out, Alex. It's okay. Let it out. Then... A certain type of person, nerdy, introspective. I, I just, I just don't know any people like that I at all. I don't know anyone like that. So what? <laughs> <We're> so... <laughs> bit moody, bit sulky. Go Doesn't on, Alex, take let much it joy out. in much thing. Go mm. on, let it go. <laughs> I... <laughs> this is kind of strangely cathartic. Um, yeah, I think those those people are quite often bad at. Uh, a putting ideas forward in a in a way that is understandable to a wider group and also more importantly not getting defensive when those ideas are challenged mm. and yeah. when people say but i don't understand what that means or what its importance is or even why it's called that then the answer too often particularly in the last few years was well, that's because you don't understand football or you don't see the point of this or whatever. And that is incredibly unhelpful. Um, and yeah, like you say, I think the, the people that use these terms do the terms more disservice than good sometimes. That, that was a little Pe- bit like people a gonna be people for me. That's the thing. I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was, Alex. I'm glad, I'm glad it was. People are going to be people. 
uh, you know, gunner, gunner people gunner. And that's how, that's how that we all works. approach the world. Yeah. Uh, one more question from Matt London. Uh, this one's just to upset Seb, I think. Next Spurs manager, who should it be? Uh, in Matt's question, he talked about Nagelsmann, uh, Rogers, Graham Potter, and uh, Hasenhutl. And if you'll notice, I only gave Graham Potter a first name and a surname because he not as famous. Seb? Uh, I don't want to mention any names. I just think it'd be nice to have some low-profile coaching. It's someone with... He makes less media noise. Who attracts? So less of a kind of um, Scott Parker vicious argument. I, I quite like Scott Parker. No, not Scott Parker yet because I'm enjoying what he's doing at Fulham and he's still learning. I like this um, game though, picking picking a sort of a person who fades into the background a little bit. Yeah, someone with ideas. Someone with um, someone's willing to someone who captivates and unifies the fan base. I think that's the most important. John Terry. But, Probably not it, John Terry. No. Is it possible <laughs> to? And this is a straight question. Is it possible to captivate and unify a fan base without being a little bit bombastic and, and out there? Because fans seem to engage with charismatic managers more no, than I, 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 I think maybe, quiet, thoughtful ones. No, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I agree because I, I think, um, I, I suppose we, we need to create um, a divide between sort of what interests people on, as you said before, football Twitter and what interest people that go to the stadium and i think believing that a team is on a journey to somewhere even if it's not you know winning the champions league or the premier league but just making steady steps forward and you know with individual players within it growing and developing that's very unifying i don't need a i don't need a showman i don't need someone that's going to say provocative things in press conferences because i don't really care about that that's so proper nonsense i think you, you need graham potter substance everything you're is very describing guy. is graham potter I think if you if you put someone like that at a club like Spurs, you would get a little bit of snobbery well. in the same way that you would pretty much at any club because you'd be like, yeah, but what's he done? And that's kind of the, the default setting for a lot of fans, I think. He's the pot um, man. You get the pot he man. He is indeed in. the pot man, but you need to, you need sorry, to the pot, be given a, an opportunity. Have you just you coined know. a really shit nickname? Why don't we call him the sub pot? Yeah because he's what happens after Mourinho and it's you're not really sure what's going to happen it might not be in the text but then a, it, it breaches the text a sub and he pot. just becomes the pot yeah, but he'd be happening at the same time though wouldn't he if he was a sub pot yeah, well, that's, that, those are the most clever plots he'd be, you know? he'd be like the sort of the um, the epipod well, it's like you watch a film that you think is about fighting but it turns out it's about disability you know yeah but, it, but it's Didn't not it's not two films sequentially is it Joe no, it happens at the same time. That's what I'm saying. Right. So therefore, it's not the same as having. Well, the two sub the subplot can be concerned with the plot. Yeah, but I feel like we need a four day weekend. Anyway, that's probably the end. I think uh, for Tifo uh, podcast, um, the, we've picked <laughs> Graham Potter there. So that's great. Well done to Graham Potter. Congratulations on your new job. Uh, well done to Seb. I hope Seb that you start to. Um, you know, feel a little bit better. Maybe watch a heartwarming film. I could suggest yes. The Lion King, uh, or it's you what know. two weeks of international football does to you, Joe. You just it sure it kind of chisels away at your enthusiasm gradually. Hey. But uh, club football this weekend, I'll be happier by the time we record again. You're okay. Yes, You're okay, okay. Well, fantastic. And uh, Alex, uh, you'll soon have to no longer pull the 
the weight of attempting to be slightly more upbeat uh, in Seb's absence, uh, and you can go back to being a miserable bastard. I'm so relieved. Yeah, it's going to be exciting for everyone. Uh, they'll be we'll be back to normal uh, rotation next week. Game relevant, of course, and the the stats and facts database stats was it that the the facts and it's facts and stats. Facts and quotes. It's your fucking database. Technically, I thought it was quotes and facts. The quotes and facts database uh, will return uh, as of uh, next next week's podcast. Uh, And um, what else have I got to tell you? Oh, oh, oh. For anyone that's made it to the end of the podcast, (laughs) we've got some very exciting Euro 2020 plans and plans that are going to happen in 2021, much like the European Championships are, even though they're called the Euros 2020. Uh, I will uh, uh, appraise you all of these more closer to the time, but I want to, to let you know we're going to be doing some hot stuff. Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be riding a wave of uh, creativity and satisfaction, unlike any other previously known to uh, to man or or depots. So look forward to that, and you can trust me when I say high quality. Yep. All right. Uh, Seb, thanks. Alex, thanks. Uh, Producer Adonis, uh, thanks as always. And we will be back on Tuesday. Au revoir. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.